The Woj Pod is brought to you by Goodyear. Discovering the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here with the new head coach of the Orlando Magic, Jamal Mosley, who now in in one week, with the hiring of Chauncey Billups with the Portland Trailblazers, there are two University of Colorado Buffalo alums as head coaches in the NBA. Jamal, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Woj? Good. Can, Jamal, can you name the other two schools in the NCAA who have, besides Colorado now, that have mm. two head coaches in the NBA? Do you know who those two are? I, I looked it up. Oh, that's a stumper. You should have gave me a heads up on that one. How about two from Kentucky and two from Arizona? Does that help? I was going to say Arizona. I was going to go Arizona. Right. We've got Luke Walton. Yes. And Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr. Yep. And now Kentucky. This one should be easier. For, all right. Frank Vogel. I know you're going to get the other one. Frank Vogel's one. Who's the other Kentucky alum? Oh, you're losing me on this one. Why am I? Dwayne Casey. Dwayne Casey. Goodness gracious. Yep. Yep. Now. My basketball history was a little off with colleges. <laughs> no, no. That, hey. But it's funny. You you missed Chauncey. So when you were getting recruited to Colorado, Jamal, <laughs> Chauncey was, he was the guy, right? I imagine when you did your campus visit, oh, I mean, Chauncey I still, was still there. He, I mean, he's probably the greatest, maybe one of the most important recruits in Colorado history, the in-state All-American who stayed home, but but he ended up leaving on you. Did you think he was staying, and did you think uh, you were going to get to play a year with him? I'm telling you, I give him a hard time to this day about that story. I can't be mad at him, but that's a, a big reason why I went there. And come to find out after I commit, you know, he realizes he's going early in the draft, and he's gone. <laughs> well, I know Ricardo Patton, your former coach, that was one of his regrets. I say, I know he has said that through the years that that you didn't get to play with him and maybe the team you would have had coming into your freshman year. But Jamal, coming over now from Dallas in your first head coaching job, tell me what it is like. You get the job, you start to put a staff together, you start to kind of weigh. You know everything you're walking into. What what are the first several days of becoming a head coach like? Tell me what fills your days right now. Just like you said, a, a lot of the like, a lot of media, a lot of interviews, introducing myself to people, um, communicating with management on you know the next steps moving forward, uh, talking about staffing, uh, communicating with the, the 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 guys in the gym, trying to talk talk to them, get to know them, create relationships. Um, obviously my wife's in town trying to search for a house. Uh, there's a lot going on, but just trying to take it day to day, uh, and just not try to do everything at once and just small piece by small piece. You've been through a few of these processes, Jamal, your time in Dallas, seven seasons with Rick Carlisle and the Mavs, obviously before that Cleveland in Denver. What do you learn about yourself when you have to interview and you interviewed for jobs last year? And you sort of prepare for these interviews. I, I had kind of found early in my career when you would have to go in and do an interview, I always kind of felt like it sort of forced you to crystallize what you really believe, what you think is important. And then you'd, I don't know, I would come out of it, I wouldn't get the job usually, but I would say I'm better for having, it forced me to think about things maybe I wasn't 
really zeroing in on. Did, like, w- what did you learn through the, the couple few years here you've had to go through these? And, and maybe when you fell short or you didn't get the job or maybe you um, maybe it wasn't the right one. Wow. Well, you hit it spot on right there. Exactly what you said is exactly what it is. You learn exactly what you believe in, what you're willing to do and not do. Um, what you would do with your own program, uh, because I, I think a lot of times as assistants, we suggest things, not knowing all the things that are behind, you know, those suggestions. But then when it's you having to make that that final call, you really have to stand on it. And so when you don't get one, you wonder if you did the right thing, said the right thing. Is my philosophy not right? You you wonder, but then you have to, you know, that's when you have to really believe in all the things that you're saying. And what's what's the right thing to do? Jamal, who was the first person in your life who said, you should be a basketball coach? You could be a basketball coach? Have you thought about going in this direction? Oh, man. It's a combination of uh, Gerg and uh, actually Scotty Brooks. Scotty Brooks and Gerg were the two. Like Gerg kind of you know, help me get there by showing me and talking to me through things. But Scotty Brooks kind of made it something that he said to me one day as I was debating on going back and playing or getting into coaching. And it, it kind of just sung, you know, sat at home with me on deciding to get into it. You mentioned Gergs and the idea of player development, that, that moniker, the whole, it didn't exist I mean, it's, you hear it every single day in coaching now, but Tim Gergerich, who you were with in Denver in your first coaching job, literally, I think that was your title at the beginning, player development. You had played at Colorado. You went overseas, uh, played um, really all over the world for a few years. And mm-hmm. Tim Gergerich, people might remember, listen, he was an assistant with Jerry Tarkanian at UNLV. He was a head coach at Pitt and then came into the NBA and what, I've always felt we, we had this contributors wing in the NBA and they put a lot of bureaucrats in there and it's sort of like sometimes where they just put suits that they want to reward. Mm. I always, I thought Tim Gergerich sort of changed the coaching profession um, by putting this great emphasis on individual work with players. He wasn't interested in being a head coach anymore. And then he, he came into the NBA, ended up in Denver with George Carl mm-hmm. and your group – and it was a novel idea, right? When you came in, Jamal, there, nobody else was doing it the way Tim Gergerts was doing it and maybe the way George Carl was valuing that hire. What, what was that like? And when they interview you and bring you into Denver, they tell you, we want you to do what, Jamal? A big portion of it was just learn, be quiet. And in some ways it was like just being a practice dummy. Just watch Gerg and watch John work um, and how they do it is just it's it's outstanding because it was always about the player it was getting guys to do things that they didn't even realize they were doing as getting better but it was just daily daily habits daily habits daily habits of just on the floor guarding guys putting them in tough situations being extra physical with them Uh, it was just and the attention to detail while he was doing that was incredible because he could teach little nuances of the game because he felt it as he was on the court with you. And then people talk about the sweat equity and things like that, but he was doing that 
for so long. How do you describe? I mean, Tim Gergerich is a very, he is a very unique person. Uh, Masai Ujiri, who you were with in Denver, Masai was at the beginning of his first job as a GM. He was an assistant GM and then came back to Denver as a GM. And I remember him telling me a story once about Gergs standing at a sort of like not, not maybe not a closet, but a wall of of video. And that he was literally standing up sleeping like he would get 15 minutes of, or a half an hour or whatever it was of sleep, literally standing up It's some crazy hour that there were just, what was he like? And personality was unique, gruff, like not like a warm, fuzzy guy. He has this camp in the summer that a lot of coaches like you, young coaches came through. It's kind of invite only. He doesn't just let everybody in there. And you would get all top draft picks. You'd get all great young players in the league who would come and work with your group of coaches. Um, he was almost like a Pied Piper, I guess, in, in the profession. He just, he was nonstop. And that was the thing. It's funny you say that about him standing up sleeping because I remember when I first started, I would wake up early, drive my car, you know, 45 minutes from where I was. And I'm like, I'm going to beat him to the office. I got to beat him to the office. There's no way. And every morning, no matter what time I got there, he was always there. I'm like, he's got to be sleeping here. There's no way that he's going home. But he, he just he's a relentless worker. But it's a relentless work about the game of basketball. How can he help the game? How can he build the game? And that's what his camp is. It's just pure basketball. That's why so many guys just want to go there because we're. it's not about the other things. It's you're learning how to play. You're getting to play and you're getting better. And it, it's about teaching. That's it's. So fantastic just to watch him teach. You know, you learn, you know, you work for Gergs and George Carl. You go to Cleveland, you're with Byron Scott, Mike Brown, and then Rick Carlisle in Dallas. And, and you take all these things from all these head coaches. But when you get to work with a player like Luka Doncic and he comes over to Dallas and is at the time maybe the most accomplished young player in European history, a just from the time he was 14, 15, he was this guy everybody was talking about, was dominating the Euro League at a younger age than anybody we had seen. What did you learn from him? You're talking about player development, and here is a player as skill-wise, as advanced as really any... I don't know how many more advanced players we've had, just all the things he could do at such a young age. What did you learn from Luca? What was it like to be in the gym with him, be in the film room with him, and watch him grow but also learn as a coach from a talent like him who was coming from a place and a background that was different you know than what maybe you would experience well like I said in my in my press conference the other day I'm not going to get fined on my third day for talking about Luca um like you said it everybody knows how special he is and how fantastic he is and I learned again like I learned so much from him um his vision of the floor his ability to get people involved. Um, but you know, the one thing that stands out and you can see it on him is his joy for the game. He just loves to play the game of basketball. He loves to have fun and he sees it a lot like chess and that's what he does. And it's, again, I'm not getting fined for, for talking about him because everybody knows how special he is, but that's a, what I learned just like how he's envisioning and seeing the floor at all times. But again, that joy that he plays with his, that's the one thing that, you know, that you love.
Jamal, what's what's interesting to me about you know you kind of see cycles of coaches and different progressions of kinds of coaches who get opportunities, and I always I kind of thought Kenny Atkinson was the first sort of player development coach who transitioned from that player development role to more you know more that traditional front of the bench you know game planning assistant then becomes a head coach non-NBA player background his playing career is very similar to yours really good college player played in Europe um, then got into coaching and to me you're a next generation of that and I really think maybe one of the first African-American coaches who you don't have a you weren't Chauncey Billups. You weren't the third pick in the draft out of Colorado. Uh, you had a great career at Colorado. You hold the record for rebounds in a game and, and one of the all-time scores and had great success, but undrafted. And you, like you said, you went to Europe. As you were climbing the ladder, did you see yourself in that way that, hey, I'm, I, I always thought it was kind of interesting in Cleveland. You worked for Byron Scott, mm-hmm. who was a you know, very prominent ex-player, and then Mike Brown, who was not an ex-player, similar to you, played, you know, West Coast, that you are an element of progress in this league based on your background, how you came up, that Jamal Mosley getting a head job in the NBA should give some guys hope who, who look like you. Yeah, and that's what it was. I try to take it and take something from everybody that I worked with. The, the, the parts that, you know, kind of fit me and my personality. But like you were as you were saying all those things of the things that I had done, it just reminded me that it was just a, a daily, daily work ethic. So to not get too far ahead of myself. So when I'm in Cleveland with with Byron, I'm just watching how his toughness was, what his poise was, what how he was just so consistent with everything he did. Um, and then you go with George and you're talking about the adjustments he made. You know, he allowed coaches just to be themselves and coach and that. And then you have uh, Mike Brown, where you're looking at, okay, the attention to detail, the teaching that he got from Gerg and Gerg always, you know, tried to have me look at him as a mentor. And then you get to Rick, who kind of puts it all together. You know, he allows his coaches to coach and then he's a teacher and then he's got this ideas, um, adjustments. And it, it was so many things that I took from every one of those coaches that allowed me to kind of just fit that to who I was. Jamal, from when you arrived in the league as an assistant to the last year or two where you're interviewing, and there's a group of assistant coaches in the league of young African-American assistants. You know, you guys are kind of like on a circuit together. (laughs) These jobs are opening. You're interviewing. uh, Maybe more Zoom this year than the last couple years. Maybe (laughs) more person. (laughs) Right? A lot of Zoom. Like um, Wes Sunsell Jr., Darvin Ham a group of coaches who I think are all going to be head coaches, mm-hmm. uh, Charles Lee in mm-hmm. Milwaukee and Darvin Ham, of course, are both with the Bucks. Was there a different optimism about how NBA teams valued black assistant coaches and their skill sets, their expertise to become head coaches? Is it different now than the way you heard maybe African-American black assistants talk when you first got in the league, has there been progress in that way? Does it feel different? Are the conversations among your peers different that 
it feels like there are more opportunities now and and maybe there's a chance there, there's more of teams maybe seriously more seriously considering again coaches of your background because the guys I all named were not great ex-players they don't have that that it's different now than when you came in the league I think it is is very different because in a lot of ways because the the, the words that would be used was like they're very good relationship guys or they're a player's coach or you know those things that those things at times were frowned upon you know to a degree where it didn't they didn't look at you as always into just coaching and now those things with these teams are what makes these teams go if you can be a relationship guy that connects with the players and holds them accountable if you can see it how the players see it as well as being able to communicate with management and ownership like those are some great qualities and and a lot of guys that played in the league are possess those qualities you know and that's and some of the guys that have been coming up like i haven't seen a lot of it you see those things and you're and then when you're given the opportunity you can take advantage of it you know and, and some of those things you talk about were their buzzwords and stereotypes because sometimes when they would say that about an african-american coach yeah he's the relationship guy what they're not saying is this guy is a tactician this guy runs great practices this guy's got great organization and I always thought like uh Ty Lu I think has been incredible you know he right he's been incredible and listen Mike Brown I think went through this I think Ty went through this in Cleveland when you coach LeBron <laughs> I think you can you get a lot of blame sometimes when it when you don't win you don't really get the credit when you do have success and and that might also and I don't think that's just a LeBron thing I think that's when you have a generational player um, like that, that, that thing that can sort of get attached to somebody, but, but, but you're right. And I think what you said, Jamal, that, that you are, you know, those are important characteristics, but, but they don't mean they're in lieu of something that, that you're missing something else. Right. And that was, I think in my experience and conversations I've had through the years with uh, African-American coaches is, we, we we struggle to get looked at as something else that that maybe our white peers the buzzwords you hear on those guys are different than the buzzwords you hear on us and it's frustrating i would say it, it's just continuing to focus on this that's it's the strengths that we have those are the strengths that we have that we can do because a lot of those things come natural right that you know so making sure that it's understood that the other stuff is there and that's what we've worked on because that's why we work on our craft that's part of our craft that's why we're that's why we're in this to get better and to make people better and so the relationship sometimes flows the communication level flows and then you're talking about the x's and o's we've done that and just being able to make sure people see that is important that's that's it's very important that they that you understand that that's what our we've done that we've been in the game to be able to do it and we've had some i've had some great coaches that have taught me these things so it's not like we're just sitting there just relying on those things we're we're taking notes and watching how people have become successful jamal what the undertaking you have in orlando is it is significant i mean this is this is a rebuild in every sense of the word this is 
an extremely young team. You've got two lottery picks in this draft. Obviously, the it was a team that was in the playoffs for two straight years under Steve Clifford. You know, then they make the Vucevic trade, Evan Fournier. You know, some tough injuries to Markel Fultz, Jonathan Isaacs, who will be back this year. And those are really you know young veteran players. I mean, those will be your veterans, and they're still very young players, and they'll be coming off significant injuries. Um, this is hard to do in the NBA. You were there in Cleveland post LeBron and Byron comes in and Kyrie, you know, Kyrie Irving comes in and, you know, you're taking your lumps. Um, it's hard to dig out of that in the NBA. Um, just your mindset coming into this of kind of like trying to get these guys better each day. It's up to management to improve the talent level. Um, but this is like typically first jobs like they usually don't give you the Lakers with LeBron and AD or they don't give you, um, you know, Steve Nash. I mean, like that's not a normal first job for a head coach. I think what you're doing for an assistant coach getting a head coaching job, this is typically more like it, right? This is a tough situation. Well, I look at I look at it like it's a great opportunity and these players are looking at it like it's a great opportunity. I mean, these is, this is a group of kids with joy and togetherness and they they look they love each other and they're in here and they're workers and so that's half the half of it right now um i think it's just going back to the cleveland days of understanding that every day being consistent every day teaching every day teaching winning habits um those are the things that carry over and then and then celebrating the small successes every day um there's a joy to being in the gym and 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 competing and one-on-one, two-on-two. How do we get better every single day? Like winning the day. Those are I know they're taglines, but that's how you grow and sustain success is by winning every single day and competing, teaching guys how to compete and how to win. And that's just through habits. Jamal, how much have you learned or how much are you consistently learning about how you reach young players now whose attention spans might be different, how they focus might be different than how you focused as a player. When you were playing at Colorado or in Europe, you weren't, you weren't spending half your day staring at a phone, um, looking into a phone, maybe not making the eye contact or having the physical interaction. I mean, I talked to so many coaches and I mean, and we all see it with our own kids or whatever, you know, you'll, you know, there was a time like everybody would ride on the bus and there'd be lots of talking. Now it's everybody just on their phone or like maybe they're listening to music or they're just texting or whatever it is. Has it changed how you have to reach players, how you communicate with them, how you watch film with them, how much film you can show, all those things that you have to adapt to the way they focus, the way they learn. And, and it's kind of always changing. Yeah, the game is evolving. I mean, players are evolving. And as a coach, you have to adjust to everything that's going on. Um, but I think the one thing that doesn't usually change is the human being, right? Like the hu- human nature is pretty much same and in, in different personalities. But I think people want to be appreciated. They want to be valued and they want encouragement. And so I think no matter what the age of a person or player that you're dealing with, even these young guys, they want to be appreciated, they want to be valued, and they want positive reinforcement, but they want to know how great they can become. And I think in coaching guys, if you can help them realize 
what their potential is and how it can balance with how great the team can be. That's how you get them to, you know, you quote unquote buy in. That's the way I've looked at it. Jamal, what is your personal MMA regimen? How did you get into MMA and like how often do you go in the gym and work out and do it? Like how did that come about for you? Um, when I moved to, to Dallas, I mean, I had done some things when I was in Cleveland and, and in, in Denver prior to, uh, and then I got to Dallas and a friend of mine, uh, was actually open a gym safe sod, um, for Fortis MMA. And I just went in there because I, you know, I conditioned, I was running for a long time. I had ran a lot, ran a lot, and it was just, you know, wearing on my knees. And so then I, you know, find this gym. And I go in there and we do some training and I just started to fall in love with the the mental side of it, because that's a big portion of it. What it is for me, it's it's the toughness, it's the resiliency, it's the the humility that you walk in against a guy that may be smaller than you, but you have to respect him because he's technically could be better than you. Your physical could be great, but his mind may be sharper. There's li- and so those little chess pieces of jujitsu that help you understand that you have to walk in here with no ego. You have to be a student every day. I take all of that for conditioning, but I take it for my mind to help me be able to coach and teach. We mentioned Masai Jerry earlier, and you're, you're, you're president in your front office in Orlando, Jeff Weltman, who, who ultimately uh, hired you, brought you to Orlando. He was in Denver. I think you guys crossed paths for a year there. Mm-hmm. And Jeff was with, he was also with uh, Masai in Toronto before he came there. Masai took you to Basketball Without Borders as a young coach. Mm-hmm. And any coach I've talked to who experienced that and traveled uh, to you know a lot of different parts of the world that really opened their eyes to a lot of things as a young coach and getting to know Masai at a time that was still pretty formative for him. We know him now as a, you know, almost a bigger than life league executive. Um, but he just started out as, you know, a young guy who was sleeping on people's couches, trying to get scouting gigs, working his way up as a, in, in player personnel. What was that impact of going to basketball without borders, traveling with Masai globally, that, that sort of the impact it had, on, on sort of a young coaching mind? It, it broadened my mind up so much just to see the game over there. I mean, I think at the time they were playing on like clay courts and you just watch these kids. And again, I go back to what I was saying before, the joy that you see on their faces for just playing the game of basketball. And the coaches that went over there with Masai and he talked to him about, it, it's like, fill these guys up with knowledge fill these coaches up so they can keep this over here and we can grow the game of basketball. That was the big message. Like, how do we grow the game and give back to the game and help everyone, you know, help these guys be better. But I just, that joy and that passion that these guys played with on clay courts at the time when I think I went over there and it was just, it was something to behold. It's so humbling and, and just helps you appreciate what we have here. Jamal, you talked about this in your, your opening press conference in Orlando. You lost your mom right about the time you were starting out on this coaching journey. I imagine this week getting the job in Orlando, 
becoming one of th- one of 30 NBA head coaches. I mean, that is like, you know, all the people in this business and all the people who set out and you're at the very top of your craft when you have one of these jobs. Has it allowed you, have you had a moment this week to reflect on what your mom would think? Like you said, you, you kind of lost the right when you started on this. Have you thought a little bit this week about what this might have meant to her and, and kind of the journey you, you've had to, to get to this point? Well, I, I think about her every day. Um, and like I sit in my office and I I'm like overlook like the facility. I, I, I try to take a pause and, you know, kind of just say thank you because of what she instilled in me and, and what she would be proud of and how she would want me to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, coaching, uplifting, teaching, helping people become great because that's who she was. Like, I only want to, I only want to represent the woman that she was and how she was an ear for her, her friends, you know, how she was the, the, the holding point and the rock of our family, bringing people together. Um, she was a teacher. Um, there were so many aspects of her that I just want to make sure that I hold on to that I can pass on to people. So I know that, you know, her legacy still lives on, but I know she's proud. Um, I know she's going to, you know, she wants me to keep my tail going <laughs> and, and not, you know, not quit. Cause that was the conversation I had with her, you know, uh, in her last battle with, you know, with cancer, I said, don't you ever just get tired. And and she just said, boy, you know, I got so much more to do. And that just told me like, she's a fighter. She was a fighter. No, that's, that's remarkable. And Jamal, I am uh, happy for you. You've got this opportunity. You have, you have earned it. I know you got a lot of work ahead of you, a lot of draft workouts, a lot of young players whose names you probably haven't spent a lot of time on that you're going (laughs) to spend some time on here with the front office and, and try to, continue to improve the talent base and, and, and the roster, uh, in Orlando, but, uh, appreciate you taking the time, Jamal, uh, to visit. And, uh, I know we'll, we'll catch up here soon down the road. I appreciate you. Woj. thank you so much for having me on. This interview has been fueled by Gatorade. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, the new head coach of the Orlando Magic, Jamal Mosley. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to also listen to the Adam Schefter podcast with the great Adam Schefter, the Low Post with Zach Lowe, and of course the Hoop Collective hosted by Brian Windhorst. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.